If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. A reasonable request, you would think, wouldn't you? That not that the request some of us have got at the moment in the lead up to the federal election? <laughs> uh, just, just tell us what you actually believe, what you're actually going to do. But it's, of course here it's a very loaded question. Because the Jews, and, and here we have to be careful, John uses this shorthand phrase, but of course he means the Jewish leaders and temple authorities. He doesn't mean all the Jews, because Jesus and his disciples were Jews. And uh, given the church's history of anti-Semitism uh, over all these years, we have to remind ourselves that what we mean when, when John, John uses this phrase. But these leaders had sent the temple po- uh, police to arrest Jesus just a couple of verses before and given orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should tell them so that he could be arrested. So it's a loaded question, but it's a vital question. In Israel at the time, the idea of who the Messiah was or might be was a vital life or death question. And look what's going on here. Where is this question being asked of Jesus? In the temple. The temple is the the cultural and spiritual heart of the nation. It's hard for us to grasp it today how important the temple was as a place for for the Jewish people. It would be like the combination of our national parliament, our national library, the national art gallery, uh, the national cathedral, the high court, the reserve bank and the ABC and the SBS. That's how central it was to life. It just did everything. So where is this question being asked, are you the Messiah? Right in the heart of everything. And not just in the heart of everything, but, but the text says it's in the portico of Solomon, which the scholars tell us is the last bit left of the original temple. Herod was going through a massive rebuilding process. Herod the Great was the, uh, the second Herod by the time Jesus was around. But, but at the beginning of Jesus' life, Herod the Great was rebuilding the temple. And so it was a massive uh, structure that you could see today. Some of it, if you go, uh, the platform that the temple was built on is still there. But the portico of Solomon was the last bit left of the great era, of the era of Solomon, the golden age. This is the age when we, the Jews, were in charge of our own lives. Finally, at least for a brief period, David, the great king, brought the the nation together and Solomon consolidated it. That is what we look back to, the the days when the really were the good old days. So he's not only in the temple, but he's in the most precious uh, cultural heart of the temple. It's like when Bob Hawke and John Howard go to Gallipoli. It means something deep in the culture. It's like when the indigenous leaders went to write the call uh, to the, the statement from the heart. They did it where? At Uluru. Because that's what it means. This is the sort of thing that's going on here. So not only is Jesus in the temple saying these, uh, being asked this question, but he's right in the heart in the portico of Solomon. And when is it being asked? It's being asked at the Feast of Dedication, what the Jews call Hanukkah. It's the Festival of Lights. It's a festival that celebrates the a revolt against the current, at the time, superpower that were ro- ruling the Eastern world. 
Uh, that was the Seleucids, the, the, a Greek-speaking uh, group who had controlled that whole area. And the Maccabean brothers came up in revolt. And for a brief period of time, Israel was in charge of Israel again. The temple was purified again. And that's what the, the lights were. The, the dedication of the lights is the name of the festival. So Jesus is being asked this question in the most crucial place at one of the most crucial times. And Jesus says, and we, even though it's called Good Shepherd Sunday, we haven't had the Good Shepherd reading. That's the few verses before. I have no idea when the people who put the lectionary together, I've not, I never any idea what they're thinking. But anyway, they decided we're going to have this reading this week, not the normal Good Shepherd reading. So Jesus has just called himself the Good Shepherd. And we heard, thanks to Anne, the 23rd Psalm, which we're so used to hearing. Often we hear it at funerals. It's a wonderful, comforting psalm. But we forget that the term good shepherd was a term used by the rulers of the, uh, all over the ancient Near East uh, for thousands of years. They called themselves shepherds, the caring shepherd, the good shepherd, the, the, um, the shepherd who brings the people together. So a ruler, it's the name for a ruler. And there's no doubt that anybody hearing Jesus talk about himself as the good shepherd would have heard this resonance. So is Jesus the Messiah? Well, it sounds like it for all the things he said, but he's not very plain about it. Is he worried that if he says he is, he might be killed? There are a couple of places in Mark and earlier in John where he does seem to indicate that he's the Messiah, but, but he says it's still very enigmatic, still very, not very, they just want it to be said plainly. The Jewish authorities want it to be said plainly so he can be arrested clearly and cleanly. But other people are desperate to hear it. And of course to be the Messiah, we think about it as in, in sort of religious terms, but, but that's not what the Messiah was. The Messiah would be like Jesus being asked, are you the true Prime Minister? The one we've been waiting for? Some of us might think that the one we've been waiting for is the one you will vote for um, in two weeks' time. Um, according to the opinion polls, not, not many of us think that about either of the men who were standing for that role. Um, we, we're not sure who we would be looking for. If it wasn't them, it was somebody else, who would it be? What sort of person would it be? Because this is what's being asked here. Are you going to be the true one to hold the culture of who we are and what it means to be Jewish people? Are you going to be the one that liberates us from the oppression under Rome and all the other oppressions to make us truly who we are? We need to know this plainly. We don't need to mess around. Because to follow a Messiah is a life and death decision. Because we have to come together as a group to defeat the oppressors. That's what the Maccabees did. And it worked for a while. That's what David did and his army. And it worked for a while. Because if you know anything about the history of Israel and you encompass it in the history of that whole area, Israel got to be its own kingdom for brief periods in between the fall of one superpower and the rise of another. There was a gap they sprung up like weeds to be a really true place for a short period, longing for it to happen again. 
Of course, if you're the Messiah in religious terms, the way we talk about it, well, you sign up to a series of beliefs, to a creed. You join a, a movement that says we believe certain things about God, about people, about Jesus, about the Bible. But Jesus seems to be offering, if he's offering Messiah at all, it's quite a different thing. Because what he says was, my sheep, remember, good shepherd is the ruling type, the title that rulers took for themselves over and over and over again. My sheep, my people, what? Join up to my army? No. Sign up to my set of beliefs? No. They hear my voice. What does it mean to hear a voice? Well, anybody can hear the voice if you're willing to shut up for five minutes. It's not that hard. And if it is a bit hard, you buy a hearing aid. Simple. I don't have a hearing aid, so my apologies. I know it's much harder than than I'm making it sound. But to believe, to to, to hear the voice of Jesus is is really easy. Who can hear it? Well, anyone? Anyone with even just one good ear? You are my sheep, Jesus says to all of these people who are listening in this profound place at this profound moment. And then he says, some of you are not my sheep. Well, why, why are they not? Is it because they don't believe the right things? Well, Jesus uses the word belief, but it's taken it's on a different meaning over these generations. We mean by belief something different than Jesus meant. In Greek, it means the, to trust, to deeply connect, to let the connection happen. It means to be intimately a part of something. So you're not my sheep because... You're not listening. You're not a part of something bigger. And you don't listen because you don't need to, of course. Some of us have already made up our decision, uh, made a decision about who we will vote for in two weeks' time. So we don't really need to listen to the other side of the story because we already know what's right and what's the important thing to do. And so this is the great difficulty for political parties. How do I get you to listen to my point of view If you've already decided, even if I believe that my uh, policies will benefit you better than the policies of the party that you're going to vote for. But we've already made up our mind and as we know in the Australian political system, it's a tiny sliver of people who will actually decide who forms government uh, in two weeks' time. Because most of us are already, I'm always, I've always voted here, I've always voted here and that's it. We don't really need to listen. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. So who, why do you, are you not my sheep? Because you're not listening. You've already decided. Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. I mean, look at him. Where's his army? Where's his plan? I mean, look at Rome and look at him. It doesn't make any sense. And not only that, if he isn't going to be able to do anything, he's just a dangerous disruptor who will get us into all kinds of trouble. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. What does, that, what does it mean to, to be hearing Jesus' voice? Well, we get a clue in the rest of the text because he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else. 
And no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Jesus is on about something much more profound than what you say you believe. Was there a virgin birth? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Uh, do you accept the creed? Those things are important. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a deep, ongoing connection between all things. Between humanity and divinity. Between Jesus and the Father is the language he uses. Between all things. This connection encompasses everything. It's one of the meanings of the word eternal in John's Gospel. The ongoing deep connection of everything, all the time. Everything is connected. Everything is one entity. That's what it means to be listening to the voice. This is the same voice that was speaking at Jesus' baptism. It's the same voice that was speaking to Moses at the burning bush. It's the same voice that was speaking to Abraham when he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And it's the same voice that was heard at creation. When the voice said over and over, it is good, it is good. That's what hearing Jesus' voice means. That's what means to be connected deeply. Jesus' messiahship is not going to be a group of people rising up and fighting the Romans. In fact, it turns out, those of us who've read to the end of the story, that Jesus' messiahship looks like a complete defeat. It's a different kind of revolution. It's a kind of inward, growing outward, connecting Revolution, when human beings discover that for themselves who they truly and deeply already are. The voice of creation said, it is good. It's the same voice saying over and over again, it is good. To recognise the voice is to be drawn into the consciousness of oneness because it's already real. You already are deeply connected with each other, with the universe, with God. That is the nature of reality. That's the whole premise that John's Gospel is built on. That's why it goes on and on about listening, but not truly hearing. Looking, but not truly seeing. Because the true reality of the world is an interconnectedness of oneness and of goodness. John, John's Gospel uses this term to explain that. It calls, talks about being lifted up. And it's the idea that Jesus being lifted up, and of course we know later in the gospel, that the lifting up is actually a physical thing on the cross. But it's a deep interconnectedness that Jesus is talking about in John's gospel. And he says at one point, when I am lifted up, when I am deeply connected to the Father, everything the Father has is mine and everything I have is the Father's, there's this sort of cyclical thing that goes on and on all the way through John, particularly in the last bit. When Jesus says, I will be lifted up and I will draw all people to me, everything will be deeply interconnected. The good shepherd will draw everyone in. This is the nature of the world. This is the truth of reality. Now, maybe there will be people who continue not to want to listen. Well, so what? They will one day. We all will, because we're all being drawn into this, into the unity of what Jesus, what John says in the very first few verses of the Gospel of John, that it will be 
Grace upon grace, it will be one moment of goodness after another, wave after wave of goodness. And, you know, you might be able to resist goodness a bit, maybe a lot. You can't resist it forever. You can't resist forever the call for you to be fully alive and fully human. Nothing can resist that forever. Tell us plainly. Yeah, he is. He is all the way through. Plainly is what you already know inside you, the voice that you're already hearing. All, when you're quiet, when you're in joy and when you're in despair, deep within you, if you can hear it, if you can go quiet just for a moment and listen, there's a voice that said to Jesus at the baptism, this is my beloved, this is my beloved and said at creation, it is good. So be it.